So in this episode, I'll be chatting to my good friend, Setembiso Blessing Bajoka. In the last episode we did together, we discussed Zulu bird names. In this episode, we will have a conversation about birds and Zulu culture. We look at some of the beliefs that surround four well-known Southern African species and how this affects their conservation. Bring new life to your garden this spring with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed. A delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden. Now available in a 10 kg bag, plus one kg free. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in store. Westerman's for the love of birds. My name is Adam, and this proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders will want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. There are two easy ways to support us that will cost you nothing to do. The first way is by telling someone else about the podcast. So if you enjoy the content in the show, please share it with someone else. A second way is by following this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on, and take some time to rate and comment on it. These two steps help us to grow the podcast and reach new listeners. Please drop us either a direct message on any of our social media platforms or send us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com and tell us where you listen to the show from. We would love to get to know you better. Before we hear from Blessing, we're going to have a short insight around birds and birding from a good friend of the show, Fancy Peacock. This slot is brought to you by the Fire Finch app. Facts, fun, feathers. Hi, this is Fancy Peacock. This is a story about dipping in the desert, adapted from a column I originally wrote for Vach Go magazine. Thank you to Dylan Vasapoli from Burning Ecotours for the red log pictures. As for the rest of the pictures, all I can say is thanks for nothing, and I mean that quite sincerely. Quiet days. Sometimes the best birding days are the days you see absolutely nothing. About 30 kilometers beyond Concordia, a thought occurs to me. I haven't seen a fence in a while. For a birder, this is a very exciting situation. No fence means no trespassing, theoretically at least. I come to a halt and wait for the worst of the dust to subside before stepping out. Here and there I note ancient vestiges of a rusty wire half buried in sand. One could easily be forgiven by even the most reclusive landowner for not seeing the quote-unquote fence. Anyways, what would a fence need to keep in or out in this featureless landscape? With such rhetorical thoughts in my mind, I wander further and further away from the fortunate. How did I end up here? This thought I voice aloud, although no one is around to hear me. My vague aim for the day was to try and record the song of a red lark, an attractive albigee that only occurs in a tiny sliver of Bushman land and nowhere else on our planet. There is a well-known stakeout for this species near Achenais, where I had seen it on several occasions before. But the explorer gene in my DNA urged me to find my own spot. So the previous night I had discovered a series of parallel red ribbons on Google Maps satellite view, smack bang between Concordia and Goodhouse in the Northern Cape. I'll bet not even your standard A-geography Yafro knows where that is. So from Springbok you cruise a few clicks north to Ukip. There you hook a right and continue until the tar ends in Concordia. From there you sort of just follow your nose towards the Orange River and Namibia's mountains in the distance, 
for about 50 kilometers until you hit Goodhouse. With all due credit to Wikipedia, I can tell you that Goodhouse is apparently derived from the Nama word Goodhouse, which translates to sheep ford, as this is where the Nama herders cross the Orange River with their livestock. But back to birds. As I had hoped, those parallel red ribbons are indeed tongues of low undulating red dunes, perfect habitat for redlocks, so named because their plumage matches this exact shade of silica. This color matching trick may be more than mere evolutionary coincidence. It has been suggested that logs actively cloak themselves in dust, which then gets absorbed by their feathers' microstructures. Such cosmetic staining, i.e. makeup, has been recorded in several other birds, including bearded vultures. All very interesting, but where are these bloody logs? The bone-chilling desert dawn has by now transformed into a shimmering mirage of heat haze, but there are no logs visible or audible anywhere. In fact, there are no birds of any species at all. Absolute deafening silence. I get so bored that I actually take a selfie. Then I amuse myself by framing artsy compositions of succulent desert plants. I become utterly engrossed in following the trail of some small legless creature that had been cruising just below the sand surface, like a miniature ribbon crisscrossing the bigger ribbons. The trail ends in a mini dune where the roots of a plant have kept the sand from blowing away. So after a minute of suspenseful digging, a purplish-grey burrowing skink is wriggling in my hand. Absolute highlight of my day. My car is now a speck in the distance, and I can't remember where I discarded my binoculars in pursuit of the aforementioned skink. As I trudge back to the road, I think about my dismal day. I dipped on my target species. I hardly saw any birds at all. Unless you count an unidentified chat that sped by, and some Namaqua sandgrass flying to water who knows where. I am sunburnt and dehydrated and as dust-covered as a red log. I have been out for six hours and not seen another human being. My phone hasn't rung or beeped once, not that there's signal out here. No emails, no deadlines, no traffic, no crime, no stress, no responsibilities and no schedules. It's just me and the desert. And then I realize something. Sometimes the best birding days are the quiet days. Here's to many more bad birding days. To read this article on your phone and see photos of red larks, desert selfies and a purple burrowing skink, check out the 30-day free trial of Firefinch app. Firefinch is packed with articles on birding hotspots, bird biology, ID tips, stories and fun challenges, as well as a field guide with illustrations, photos and sound clips of nearly 1,000 Southern African birds. Firefinch. Facts, fun, feathers. So I've got Blessing back on as a guest, and it's really great to have a chat to him. We had him a few weeks ago on the show, and I know that that episode, a lot of people got back and had really great comments about the show, so it's good to have you back on the show again, Blessing. Thank you very much, Adam. It's nice to be back on the show again. So today we're going to speak about birds and Zulu culture, and this is a really fascinating concept. You know, a lot of people, you know, we have these small ideas about the beliefs that um, other cultures have around birds. And I think a lot of people are quite critical of these beliefs in many ways. And maybe it's through a lack of understanding. But, you know, just as a starting point, you know, where did these beliefs start from? Where, did, where you know, where, where were these beliefs birthed? You know, these beliefs we hear around the birds, where did it start from? 
Um, I can say it is from people's experiences. And you will find that those experiences have been told to generation to generation. And um, it ends up you know, being beliefs that people believe in because of the experiences that they've, they have, you know, uh, regarding those, those birds uh, that um, uh, have been um, uh, spoken about. One thing that was quite interesting was when we, were, when we were in Johannesburg and we stopped at a garage and we've obviously heard some people before this um, before this interview went out. I've got some interviews with people hearing what they believe about um, owls. But when we were up in Johannesburg and I asked a guy there, and I think he was, yeah, was from Malawi, yes. and I asked him what does he believe and what, what was absolutely fascinating for me was the same discussion that we'd been having about what the Zulus believed a guy from Malawi believed exactly the same things about owls. You know, I always say, you know, even though we are South Africans, but we all came from the north, uh, coming down, you know, through looking for the pastures where we were going to graze our cattle and everything. So obviously the knowledge that they got up there would be the same as what we believe in, uh, as I was saying before. This is the knowledge that has been given or that has been cascaded down from elders to youngsters uh, generation after generation. So that is why, you know, things that we believe in would be the same as things that they believe in. But uh, gladly you've mentioned the owl. The one thing that which, as we had this conversation in preparation for this, that really stood out for me was the Western mindset is almost like there's a spiritual realm and there's a physical realm. And they almost are seen as two separate places so you you'd have animals and birds and all this that are exist in a physical realm and then you have a spiritual realm that's that's out there but when you chat to people from the african culture it almost seems as if the spiritual and the physical there's a lot more connection between the two so when we look at something we see it as just as something as something as physical there's definitely, there seems in the African culture many times to be a spiritual connotation to that also. Yeah, I mean, that is why you will find that uh, sometimes even these birds, I mean, to African culture would be a powerful uh, ingredient in, in making moti or something, you know, because there's always this connection between the two humans on the other side and animals on the other side. But there is this commonality and uh, um, connection uh, between the two. But what I do find interesting is, is obviously, you know, in the past, there was oral tradition passed on and, and there was conversations that took place. But, you know, a lot of the the newer generation, I don't know how much exposure they might have had to those oral, oral traditions. And they've gone to university and they've been educated and all this kind of thing. But it almost seems as if a lot of those traditions are still embedded. There's a lot, like I've asked people, younger people, and they would even believe the same thing that the 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 previous generations believed, even though there's there would appear to be more education. You you you'll be shocked, uh, Adam. Um, our indigenous radio stations are playing a very, very important part in trying by all means to conserve culture, you know, amongst, you know, African people. 
um, there's so many programs and uh, so many people that uh, are invited there to teach, you know, youngsters about, you know, um, uh, African culture, you know, the way people lived in those years, you know, beliefs, you know, that are there, uh, even traditional medicine, all those things. So there's still a lot of education that is out there that is happening as far as uh, culture is concerned. So we're going to talk about a couple of birds today that they probably have a little bit of a darker side to them. This is like the Stranger Things birding episode. So if I had some really weird dark music, I'd be playing it just if you got it at home. You can put the dark music on right now. These are the morbid birds. So I want to chat about some of these birds where the beliefs around them is a little bit more, maybe a little bit more dark. So tell us about some of these, these birds, the morbid birds of Africa. Yes, uh, earlier on you mentioned an owl. Everybody, I'm sure, would know about owls. Um, when it comes to uh, you know um, our African beliefs, you know owls are associated with uh, witchcraft. You know w- what is the reason why they are associated with uh, witchcraft is because these birds are are, are nocturnal. So if they are nocturnal, they are active at night. So to Africans, everything that is um, associated with darkness is evil. So it's so unfortunate there's this this beautiful bird uh, are associated with witchcraft because uh, they are perceived as messengers. Uh, of witchcraft. So in a village, there would be somebody who would be owning this bird and he is able to send this bird for his uh, witchcraft purposes. What is interesting is the we referred in the last episode about the birds of KwaZulu-Natal and their Zulu names and we spoke about the how the names um, are connected. There's not It's not just like you know, it's behavior and um, and behavior and the call in that. And it's interesting, you know, one of the Zulu names, tell me if I'm saying this right, Mloi. Yes, yes. And that actually means the name, presumably, this is out of the birds of KwaZulu telling their Zulu names. This is what it says, is presumably related to the usual meaning of this word, which means witch, wizard, or one who practices witchcraft. Exactly a reference to owls being night birds and suspected of being familiar as helpers. The belief extends to the fact that all owls as such, all owls as such, a belief is, is found all over Africa and in all countries and cultures all over the world. So there's, uh, and I think, I think, you know, again, we speak about what reinforces that belief. And I mean, every time you say that name, you, 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 you the, the name, the straightaway, the association is, is witchcraft. Oh, definitely. Um, every time, you know, I get a lot of questions about owls, you know, when I do these talks, you know, um, to different organizations. Every time, the comment that I will get is that, you know, even a youngster, a young guy, you know, who's still at primary, will tell you that, you know, they're very scared of owls because the uh, owls are associated with witchcraft. So... It, it's a belief that is amongst the Africans, you know, young, uh, old. Owl is associated with witchcraft, but it's only because 
the owls are active at night and the darkness is um, uh, associated with evil. And someone said to me, it's also the way that they twist their heads around. They can twist their head around and almost it comes, they say there's something about that that they they almost don't trust the bird or something. I don't know how, how they described it exactly, but something with the, the way the head twists around. Yeah, you know, it's, it's. I mean, we all know that, you know, they, 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 the owls can can look, what is the, the degree? Uh, well, one, 180. 180, yes. Yeah, they can twist their heads 180 degrees, you know, and... You know, people, when they see that, they think that, wow, this is impossible because they look at humans, they can't do it, but these birds are doing it. So there must be superstitions or something, you know, that makes these birds so powerful and they can do that. But then again, that name, that, like they said in here, it's not just with the owl connotation, it's not just a, a Zulu culture thing or, a, you know, around the African cultures. You know, it's even Western culture because if you, like, I mean, I haven't really seen the movie, but Harry Potter, for example, I mean, there's the owl in it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. it's the same as another one that is often associated with darkness and that. Uh, there's a new show on Netflix now called, uh, I can't remember what it's called right now, um, The Sandman, I think it's called. And I watched a bit of it, and the reason I watched it was was because there was a raven on the, the logo, you know, as birders. And in this in this um, show, they spoke about the fact that, I mean, it's obviously a – Mythic. It's it's not a it's a fantasy show. It's not a real show, but they speak about the fact that ravens can move between the different realms, and and I think when it comes to ravens and crows and owls and that type of thing, there you know all around the world there's 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 often this connotation that links it with darkness, and and it's it's a it's the the problem with that is is it's a very negative connotation around the species all around the world. A lot of people have this, have a very wrong belief system and and I can imagine in some in some way it probably plays a part in in the challenges that 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 lie around this bird in terms of conservation. Oh yes, no I would absolute uh, I would, I, would, I mean I would agree with you uh, 100%. But at the same time you must understand that now, since now it's associated with witchcraft, so obviously they're not going to eat it. So in a way, <laughs> there's some negative and some positive as well, you know, as much as they would kill it, you know, but, you know, it's not like any other bird that they will eat, you know, because they can't eat it, so why kill it? So the next bird we're going to speak about apparently is a bird that someone told me who grew up on a farm. I can't remember the whole story. And they said, this is another bird that they don't like eating. So it's a noisy bird. I had them outside my window this morning. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I was, not, I was not polite to them. I tried <laughs> to chase them away. But it's just, this is one of our noisiest birds. And the joke goes like this. Um, it's a very old joke. Because the reason that they make the noise they make is because they they stay they stay scared of flying. So let me <laughs> let me just before you tell us about this bird, let me just play the call because this is this is I, I always try to explain this to people. They're like, oh, it's such a nice bird. Then you hear its call, and oh my word, this is like the call of not niceness. This is the call of the hardy dar. Listen to this. <coughs> now, if you're overseas, what you don't realize about hardy dars, they don't just call during the day. This call. You'll hear at all times, early in the morning, late at night, they'll just get a fright, and all of a sudden there's a whole flock of hardy dogs flying over your house. So 
Tell us about this bird and the traditional beliefs around this bird. <laughs> it's a very interesting one, um, you know, about the, the Hadida. The, 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 we call it in Inkankaane. Um, Hadidas are very common birds, you know, but uh, there is this belief that if it has flown above your house, it's, it's a symbol that uh, one of the family members is going to die. So it's the bird, again, that is associated with death. Uh, where does that come from? Uh, it comes from, this is a very noisy bird. You know, in rural areas, if somebody has passed on, the way you know that there's somebody who has passed on is that, you know, the people uh, from that family will be, like, uh, crying continuously uh, through pain of uh, losing a loved one. And we call that ukulila. In other words... Your neighbor, the village will know that there's somebody who has passed on because of ukulila um, uh, that they hear from um, uh, from that particular family. So since now this bird is calling loudly, they associate it with death. They it's it's like doing ukulila. It does this uh, continuous uh, crying through pain of um, of losing a loved one. That is why now some would even go as far as shouting it out. You know, um, uh, I read some that this lady was saying, you know, her grandmother would say, uh, not to me and my family, move away, uh, never come back, you know, chasing the bird away. Uh, because they, 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 they take that 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 call of the bird as symbolizing that there's something bad that is going to happen, you know, within the family. Yeah, I just I just find the weird thing about that is, I mean, uh, hardy dogs fly over my house all the time, calling. And and again, it's I'm not trying to in any way <laughs> undermine the belief system. This is not meant to be. Um, like I said, I really when I, when we chatted about doing this, yeah, I really wanted to do this as respectfully as I could because the point of this isn't to try and make a mockery of beliefs. But that was yeah. something which I find difficult because I'm saying you've got this belief system that's been established for the years, and and if you look at the evidence, it would almost appear contrary to what the belief is. Yet the belief continues. Yeah, yeah, true. No, no, it, it, I mean. If if you find, um, as you were saying, you get very educated people, but you still believe in these beliefs, you know, they don't sit down and look at it and say, okay, let's do analysis here. Does this really happen? But they believe in it, you know, yeah. As always, The Burning Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part, Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at 
Yeah, so the next bird we're going to look at is a bird that apparently thinks it's quite an ugly bird. It hasn't got it's got a, bit, a little bit of a low self-esteem. And if you don't share this story, I'll share it a little bit because I learned that the other day. Yeah, please do. But, More than welcome. Uh, this is a bird that has got a very low <laughs> self-esteem, and it's also linked to a Zulu belief. So tell us your understanding. And this is a bird that is this is you know this name is is so cool. Um, you'll share the Zulu name in a moment, and also the the belief system about it. But what I love about this bird is both names are African. Oh, I yes. mean, Hammerkop is, yes. is an Afrikaans, Afrikaans name. name. Yeah. And then you've obviously <laughs> got the uh, Utequani, Utequani yes. which is the Isizulu name. And there's yeah, actually a bus liner that in, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, which is called Utequani. It's actually yes. got a, a Hammerkop yeah, as the logo. So tell yeah. us about this species. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, the interesting thing, as I said before, is that, you know, the positive part of... of of these belief systems is that in a way they are protecting these birds because they don't get eaten. So nobody's going to hunt them. Uh, with this one, Uteguani, they've gone as far as, you know, when you are a youngster, you are always told that never ever destroy the nest of this bird. Because if you do, that would mean that you're uh, 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 your home is going to be struck by lightning. So, in a way, it's a bird that is cleverly con uh, con conserved, you know, because nobody is going to destroy the nest of the of 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 the bird. Again, it's one of the birds. It has it, it has flown above your house. You know, you start becoming suspicious that something bad is going to happen. It's one of the birds that is also associated with evil as well. Yeah, and obviously, they said here, the huge nest constructed, again, out of the book, a huge constructed with all the kinds of cast of humans, um, human debris mm. suggests links to Ubukati or witches. Am I saying? I'm Ubutakati. Yeah, I'm getting which I'm is here. witchcraft. So yeah. again, there's that belief between the two that the nest, the construction of the nest. And if you've never seen a Hammerkop nest, and I've got a lot of overseas listeners, I mean, the nest is massive. It's massive. I mean, you just <laughs> if it's in your tree, like how the heck is this tree still? The tree it's like bigger than your house. You got this nest that's bigger yeah, than your house. Yeah, yeah, and no, it's too big. But the other thing about this, which is interesting, is they they say when the they believe when the bird sits motionless on the water's edge, it is believed to be looking at its reflection. And, be and bemoaning its ugliness. <laughs> yeah, no, you can see the shape of the head. Eh? It's not, <laughs> it's not a, a beautiful shape. Eh? Oh, I think, uh, I think that, you know, you know what's amazing about these birds, and and, and this is you, you're a photographer. What's really cool about these birds, and when you first look at them, you, and you start birding, you just see a brown bird. Yeah, but yeah. the more you start bir birding and you take photos of them, you look at them and like the Hammerkorp has this beautiful, rich. Rufus coloration. Yes. It's, it's it's a Brown. stunning coloration. Yeah. It's a yeah. beautiful bird. Yeah. No. 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 It is. It is a beautiful bird, and and also you know, I mean we just easily say it's it's an ugly bird. I mean it's different to other birds. I mean you look at the shape of the head, you know it it is interesting. You know you like ask yourself you know how how was this bird you know made you know it's it's it's, it's got different head shape compared to all other birds that I have seen. That is its beauty, you know, uh, to me. I must say my confession of this, and I, he I hear the call 
many times, but it's one bird. The call never sticks. I'll hear mm. the call. I'm like, mm. what calls that? Yeah. And it's, it's so many times a calls, and it just it's one of those calls that for me it just like I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's it's got a different call altogether. So now we're going to talk about a, the last bird we're going to speak about. I think you've got a fourth one. This is just a bonus one. Um, is uh, a bird that is one of my favorite favorite species. It's a bird that is um, there's a lot of conservation efforts around it. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the Southern Ground Hornbill. Yeah, bo. Southern Ground Hornbill, uh, we call it Intsingizi. Uh, actually, um, about two months ago, I went to a funeral in Inkandla, and um, I was at the cemetery there. And um, I always carry my camera with me when I'm going to those rural areas because you don't know what you will see. And I saw these uh, intingizes and um, I started taking photographs and we had a deputy mayor of Inkandla with us there. Later on, I approached her and say, hey, wow, yeah, you've got such uh, nice birds in your area. And I show her uh, the picture from the camera. And uh, her response was, I mean, immediately was, was, was to say, Oh wow! Now we've got uh, uh, isn't easy around. That would mean that uh, now we're going to have a storm. Oh, so <laughs> this bird is 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 related to a storm. I remember when I grew up, they used to say if it's gonna be raining for days and days, they would say somebody must have taken a feather from the bird and put it in the water. So for the rain to stop, that somebody, whoever he is, must now go and get this feather, take it out of water so that the rain will stop. So the southern ground hornbill is associated with flooding and also with uh, lightning. So when they see the bird, they say, okay, it's going to thunder or there's going to be a lot of lightning. And uh, yeah, uh, that is the belief uh, uh, beliefs uh, around um, uh, uh, um, Nsingizi. So as we wrap up, the last thing I want to ask is this, and you know, again, uh, you know, one thing about the Bird in Life podcast is we want to celebrate the birds of Africa. We want to celebrate Africa. We are proudly African podcast, but. Obviously, as we start looking at the names around, and not the names, we look at the culture and the belief systems around different birds and even animals. You know, as we start looking, there's obviously a lot of these beliefs that end up protecting these 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 the birds, but there might also be other beliefs that obviously aren't that might lead to you know more negative consequences. So the question is, is this? And we've spoken about the challenges that even people that are educated still have these ingrained belief systems. So how do we change beliefs that are incorrect and might harm the birds in such a way that we we don't insult culture, where we can do it in a way that we 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 honor culture? How do we how do we how do we get that balance? Because obviously there are beliefs that are harmful for birds, but if we we we're not careful how we approach it, we could in, instead of building a bridge, we could actually end up pushing and alienating people, which I think will be more detrimental in the long run anyway. You know, I, I, I so wish that uh, one day we would have, you know, uh, programs like this podcast, you know, that would be run in a season now. 
uh, addressing the very same issues because I believe in, in education. You know, the more we push bird life conservation in the language that people would understand, uh, that would help a lot because that is when we're going to start having these discussions, you know, and talk about these things, uh, scrutinize them and see if they are, you know, you know, practical or not practical. Uh, are they really happening or it's just superstitions, you know? But uh, all I can say is that through um, education, we, we can be able to approach the people, we can be able to sit down, discuss these issues, and yeah, keep whatever we feel is helping and whatever is negative and see how we can change it uh, to be uh, positive. And the key is always education. The other key education, are, education. And the other key I think goes back to again, we've had this podcast, we've had this discussion many times. Yeah. And it's making birding accessible for as many people as we can. The more accessible birding is because um, when people actually encounter owls in the wild, their perception of the owl eventually will start to change because they'll, they'll start to say, I think, I think it's, it's education on the one side, but it's accessibility on the other side. And I, I would, you know, I'd, the challenge I would put out there to people that are birding, for people that are, um, you know, part of bird clubs is, is do everything you can to, to make birding as acceptable as you can. You know, I often think about this, a lot of birders have spare pairs of binoculars lying at home. And, you know, sometimes go to, you know, donate it to the bird club. And when, you know, when they do the outing, see if you can invite people that might not be able to afford a pair of binoculars. You've got a pair that they can use. And, and all of a sudden what happens is the that old South African song, make the circle bigger. The circle gets bigger and bigger and more and more people get to be a part of this. And ultimately what happens is conservation is the winner. Exactly. Now we are birders, but obviously when we grew up, we trapped birds. We used, you know, we used to uh, shoot at birds, you know, things like that. But as we grew and we get introduced to birding, then our perception changed. I always say this, the more people we try and attract uh, to birding, the more uh, impact we're going to have. If now we've got few black uh, birders, I can promise you now, amongst those birders, uh, or I would say with those birders, I don't think that we will find a birder that would look at the owl as the messenger of witchcraft. The, the, the mindsets have changed. Now they are appreciating um, uh, seeing an owl like before. So yeah, education will play a big part in changing the mindset of the people. And yeah, uh, whatever is negative, yeah, we can deal with that, you know, change it to be positive. So Blessing, again, I want to say thank you for being on the show. Um, next season, you'll be back on and we'll be looking forward to chatting about more of these kinds of topics. And again, we hope that this, you know, does bring about an education. So thanks for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Adam. I really appreciate it. You know, it was nice to spend time with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, 
feel free to drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.